Are you in the are you in the zone? I'm in the zone. All right. So let's talk about one of the next waves in VC, or at least one of the next waves I think is coming, which is called generative tech. For those who don't know or are new to the space, the best example perhaps of generative tech, or at first we'll give an uh, a quick definition, and it's when you have um, AI models teaming up with collaborators. So OpenAI has a product called Dolly, D-A-L-L-E, where it allows anyone to create very robust pictures that like look like the, it was painted by Picasso. And you can enter in a few words, and it's using an AI data set and model that makes everyone artists and perhaps makes historical artists feel, feel a little relevant. And they can create thousands and thousands and thousands of images without ever actually working with the designer. You can say, I want to create something that looks like a Picasso that has a photo of Steve Jobs, and it would put it together for you in a few seconds. Um, so that's kind of the, the base, the broad base example of generative tech. Um, maybe another example of generative tech is with movies. Right now, um, as we talk about like phases in the web, right now, you know, companies like Netflix are producing, you know, videos for the masses. But generative tech could take AI models um, and it could create a movie specifically for Peter Harris or for you, the listener, or for me. And the movie that you might see might may look very, very different from me. And the ending that you have might be very different. And it might get to the point where these, these generative models, if I understand correctly, maybe you could correct me, is I could either the model would create it of its own or I would team up with it to create kind of the, a, a really good movie for me that I'd like. Or maybe another example is right now, an example of generative tech is right now, I could create a, a playlist on Spotify and share it with you. But in the future, generative tech may say, hey, Spotify might come through and say, hey, this is Peter Harris. And it would create a unique playlist of unique songs that have never been heard before that are specifically for you. Would that, would that be a good example? Yeah, I mean, to an extent. So the only thing I'd add is that it's the idea with generative tech is that it is this collaboration between AI and a human, right? So the mm -hmm. human is giving it guidance. And then what's interesting is generative tech is going back to these large databases and, and, and sources of data uh, like the internet and pulling on that, leveraging kind of the guidance of that human to create something that's useful to that human or to the broader population. So in your Spotify example, it's, yeah, they may create like a customized list of new songs that have never been heard before that I personally love, uh, but it's going to be based on inputs and guidance that I'm giving it. Uh, and that could be by showing it the other music that I've listened to, right? It could be me providing other inputs from my life. Um, as well as just, hey, you know, I'm in the mood for something like relaxing right now, right? Give me something relaxing and jazzy, right? And then it would come up with some some type of music that would satisfy that need. Um, yeah, it, it's a super, super fascinating um, uh, new development. And, you know, I think it makes a ton of sense. You know, I, I can't remember where I read this, but a number of years ago, uh, they were talking about how uh, these AI models were beating all these chess masters. And, you know, everybody's kind of freaking out, like, hey, you know, humans are becoming irrelevant, blah, blah, blah. Um, not only did that not, like, really truly happen, but the other thing that, that, that this article pointed out is that, um, well, AI could beat a human. Uh, an AI plus a human 
could trounce any AI. And it's the combination of these two, right, uh, that kind of opens up these huge new opportunities. Because if you just go to an AI and say, hey, show me good art, right, that's really hard for them to do and figure out. But if you go to the AI and you say, okay, show me a futuristic neopunk world uh, where, you know, this good looking man is riding on a futuristic vehicle and all of a sudden it can start pulling from all these different cultural references and other things and create uh, that that picture for you. And, and so it's like this collaborative thing because most people wouldn't be able to create that on their own but they do have an idea of what they want, right? And so it's this ability to like think creatively and then use AI to actually bring what it is is in your mind, hopefully, into fruition. Okay. So <clears throat> there's a lot of like heat in the space. Obviously, op- I mean, OpenAI has raised hundreds of millions. Anthropic has just raised 700 million, over, over 700 million, like, Wait, maybe I need to correct that. Yeah, they've raised over 700 million. I'm just double checking. And this space is getting hot. From a VC perspective, how long will this space be hot for? What are the industries that, and maybe what are the industries you think it will attack or, you know, completely reinvent? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, I think it's going to touch everything. I think this is where you see kind of AI 2.0 in a lot of ways, like start to really flourish. You know, I remember, so our friend, Diogo, over at uh, Album, he funded a company called Latitude. Latitude makes a game called Dungeon AI. This is a deal he did a few years ago, and it was kind of a crazy deal at the time. But what what Dungeon AI does is it's this, like, dungeon text-based dungeon crawler. And when you play it, it creates a world just for you based on your inputs into the model, right? So it says, you know, do you want to walk down to the to the lake and you say yeah i'm gonna walk down to the lake i'm gonna pull out my sword right and then it creates a world around you so you know that's one example i think there's a ton of examples i think you're gonna see instances where you know maybe you're a sales rep and you're gonna go into a meeting with a client the ability to say okay tell me what's the best way to interact with this client and they're gonna go and pull all this data from all these different data sources, and they're going to feed that back to you and say, okay, here's your cheat sheet. I like right? that idea. Go. There's a good business idea. Right? Yeah. I feel uh, like the, <laughs> the first places where we've seen generative tech in an actual business model, because I don't think Dolly right now is a true business model. It's more sure. of just kind of like investing in the future. Sure. Is things like Jasper.ai and Copy.ai, yep. where it's it could completely replace a team of like 10 copywriters. Yeah. It could just have... An ads, you know, you could take your your marketing copy team from ten people to a team of like two people that that work with this. Yep. My yep. favorite ad that I see from them is, "Hey, this ad is showing you AI. You know, AI works." Yeah. This ad was built by AI. Yeah, there we go. That's the that's yeah. that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Well, and I I subscribe to this newsletter, and um, the one of the authors of this newsletter, because it's like a group of them, um over the weekend kind of built a text generative AI tool to help him write more of these articles. And what was interesting is he showed like, okay, I'm going to write this basic idea of what I, what I want, but then, uh, Hey, AI, uh, give me like 10 supportive arguments, uh, for what I'm, I'm trying to say. And then also like, give me 10 reasons why this doesn't work. And you know, he goes through and he's like, Hey, look, half of these are not very good. But the other half are pretty good or they're directionally pointing me in ways that I wouldn't have thought about before. 
right? Um, and they're kind of sparking additional creativity and helping me accelerate my writing process a lot faster. What do you think about generative tech in the medical space? So for example, we were at the doctor's office just today. Yep. And it, you know, it still amazes me that between the doctors we've been seeing, they're not sharing all the imaging. Yep. They don't all have that data. And for the, probably the last 10 years of my mind, you know the game, the 20 question games, that little robot? Yeah. Like that is an incredibly smart game. And I'm like, why has the medical space almost not interacted to that level where a doctor could be working with a 20 questions game, but they could grab all the data. They could perhaps be asking the patient question in advance and have a much more guided process that would probably save them a lot. Because in our visit today, the doctor had literally just 20 questions for yep. For us as part of the visit yep. and some generative AI model could have already had that done before we even met with the doctor. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I think, um, one of the questions that you always have to ask yourself as a venture investor, when you're looking at a company is why now, right? Why does this opportunity exist now? And it didn't exist before. And, you know, tomorrow will be too late. And I think if you look at generative AI, the reason it exists now, like why is now the time uh, I would argue, you know, a lot of people would say, well, it's because like the open source finally got released and, and was, you know, barriers came down, et cetera, et cetera. But l from my viewpoint, it's like processing power reached, finally reached kind of these points, access to data reached, you know, these points. So the internet is so big. There's so much content out there, right? Five years ago, there may not have been enough content to actually feed these engines to do things that were super useful yet. And, and so kind of coupling those two things and then also making it just, like the cost to produce these things, the cost of processing power and everything is like driven down so far that like anybody can use it. And so once anybody can use it, right, like this guy in this newsletter, right, like he just went and tapped in to kind of these AI engines. All of a sudden you see this proliferation of different ideas where people are like, oh, we could use it for this. Coming back to your question around uh, the medical field, you know, why hasn't this been done before? I think... You know, to a certain extent, there's a lot of the pieces that you could argue should have, like, we should at least have been on this road sooner. But um, if you think about, at least from my viewpoint, part of the reason why now is the time for generative AI or generative web or generative tech to really take off is that access to, to data. And in the healthcare arena, uh, people are not incentivized, frankly, to share data. Mm -hmm. And so you have all these data silos. And so it becomes really difficult to start pulling in that data to run true AI because AI is so dependent on, um, you know, ingesting data, analyzing data, identifying trends, all of those things. And if the data quality is not very good or it's just not available or it's the sample sizes are too small, there's not much you can do with it. Right. And so I, th I think that's that's a big part of it. And I think the other part is you have these doctors that are highly protected. Right. Uh, to be a doctor, to practice medicine, you know, you, you have to go to school, you have to receive certain licenses, you have to pay malpractice, right? There's all of these barriers that exist mm -hmm. that make it hard for uh, just anybody to start creating tools that could solve uh, these health problems. And, and doctors, again, have no incentive to really support and grow those types of things because it's a threat to their their livelihood, right? Mm -hmm. Um I think what's interesting about this art and the writing and these other things is that there aren't barriers to be an artist. There aren't barriers to be an author. And so it's a lot more, it's a lot easier for these types of technologies to spring up and, and, you know, create really interesting solutions. Can 
with with things like generative tech, can founders and VCs be competitive against some of these really large behemoths like an IBM? You know, moving forward, is this still kind of an innovators game, startup and you know VCs, or is the amount of cash to build these models and collect this data a more of an enterprise model? I think that's a good question. Um, you know, my impression is is that open source is going to provide a tremendous number of opportunities. Uh, it's that's the way it's been for the last 20 years or so, uh, that more and more corporates are realizing that there's tremendous amount of power within open source communities and so forth. Uh, and you could even argue that uh, the greatest gains uh, in generative text and the areas where generative text has the potential to, to offer the most gains is within this open source community, where open source developers can leverage generative tech to you know, expand and grow and develop additional um, algorithms and models and access to data and so on and so forth for, for more and more and more applications that would be hard for any one corporation to keep up with. Um, the flip side, though, is, you know, will, will it be hard to create barriers to entry, right, if you're a startup, uh, if everyone has access to these similar types of uh, products and tools? Um, my guess is probably yes, because uh, let's be honest, there's there's nothing that special about most SaaS applications that are out there. And yet uh, many are able to build out very, very interesting businesses and interesting moats over time uh, that, that give them an advantage. And I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be the same for generative text or sorry, generative tech. Okay. If you were to pick two or three industries to either focus on as a founder or as a VC yourself, what would you focus on? So, you know, it's a good question because, you know, we're heading, we're likely heading into this recession, um, which means people are going to be thinking a lot about, you know, how do I cut costs, those types of things. Um, Isn't that where generative tech wins? Like, I mean, with, potentially, like the, like the right? legal space. It's one of the, the models I've thought about in the past historically. Yeah. And the data, for the most part, is becoming much, much broader, much more available. Mm -hmm. And then plugging an engine on something like legal zoom or whatever could be really really compelling right mm -hmm. uh, both for contract creation as well as contract review contract negotiation right a lot of those things um yeah but i think you're well you're always gonna still need mm -hmm. somebody that can kind of guide it that knows what they're doing for sure right? but even like you said the, the thing but like they can be way more efficient you know you know creating a service maybe just for contract review it doesn't yeah. have to look at anything historical just it could look through it and say hey how do we think this document may be challenged or misinterpreted yeah and that data with a skilled attorney instead of taking you know you know a ten thousand dollar bill yeah it could just be a thousand or two thousand dollar bill yeah i think opportunities i mean at a fundamental level i would look for opportunities where if, if you think about generative t tech it's this idea that it amplifies human talent and ability. And so I would look at like, what are the things that are the most costly for humans to do, especially from like a knowledge worker perspective and focus on companies that are building tech for that. Because theoretically, right, all of a sudden you're able to get a ton more leverage off of that individual than you could get before. So like if you think about like software developers, really expensive uh, on a per hour basis, right? Uh, well, what happens if you provide, you know, your rock star uh, developer with a generative tech tool that really amplifies what they're doing and makes them 10x more efficient? Like all of a sudden, 
their 10x better and you're you're working with a developer that's creating 10 10x or 100x the value just on their own than you know somebody that's not and so i think i think that's an interesting area to focus on that, that's interesting because that's something we're actually looking at at codebase right yeah. now um so there's an application by github called copilot mm -hmm. and the idea is that it's it's paired programming but typical paired programming is like you have two ruby devs or two full stack devs yep in this case, you have an AI engine powered mm -hmm. by GitHub, and then you have one of our develop a developer. And so we actually have some of our developers running through a project right now, um, just to see how how do we like it or how you yeah. know how does it compare. And yesterday, I asked you know others on LinkedIn. I feel like a lot of people don't have experience with this, but I think they said short term they probably don't see a lot of value right now, but they definitely think long term it could have be, a ton of value. Right? You sit down and you're mm -hmm. like, hey. Um, we're going to build this type of app. I need you to go find these different libraries and just dump them in, right? And have the AI just automatically find it, know exactly what you're doing, dump it in. You can look at it, review it, say yes, yes, no, let's fix this, right? Right. I think that's also like what Builder AI does is they come through, it's what do you want to build? Yeah. And they use their AI engine to scan the web and to say, here's the cheapest way we can build X. Right. Yeah, so I think that's interesting. Um, I do think like there's this idea around, like I mentioned earlier, around um, just like being more emotionally intelligent in our conversations with each other yeah. and pulling in data and leveraging that data to have richer, richer and deeper um, conversations uh, with people. Uh, and kind of remove a lot of those barriers. And so if you apply that to sales, right? Like mm -hmm. how much more interesting it would be if you talk to a sales rep and they they already know enough about you that you can have like an interesting conversation and they know how to engage with you at a more personal level that really matches with your personality. Um, all of a sudden you're gonna be more likely to to want to do business with them. Yeah, could you go through someone's LinkedIn posts and figure out what, because in sales they have the four quadrants, are you an analytical, are you an, an emotional person? Yeah. And it could like quantify them beforehand and to say, hey, here's the approach that we might. Yeah, bring. sure. Why not? And and then tap into data sources like, you know, Clearbit, Zoom, et cetera, where it's like, OK, I'm going to you, you've already scraped all this data around the individual. Let's tap into that and, and leverage that as well. Um, yeah. So I think I think a lot of those represent opportunities. Uh, there's probably some opportunities on the creative space. I think my concern there is that, um, you know, going back to what I said before, like if there aren't many barriers, you basically move to like a commoditized environment and it's really hard to generate much money there. So like if I'm if I'm one of those uh, website like a like an iStock photo, I'm probably terrified because now instead of going to iStock Photo and like hunting and searching and hoping that I find that, you know, some photographer somewhere took the picture that I'm looking for, I can just go into one of these AI engines and say, hey, give me this. And boom, I get exactly what I want. And move the the picture of the palm tree to the right. Yeah. And add in yep. a, a, a picture of a couple that's yep. mixed race. Yeah. And give them three children, one that's an amputee. Yeah. One of the things that like personally I'm super excited about is, uh, you know, there, there are some of these new tools that are coming on board for like video editing and, you know, you could imagine like plugins into Word and PowerPoint and other things that are, you know, or it's just like, hey, this background, get rid of it. And the AI just automatically finds it and gets rid of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, without you having to like go through and manually like select every single little bit that needs to go, go. Um, or like pick this person and follow them along, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
So I think there's a lot of tools like that that are going to be like, you know, really cool. And they're going to democratize access to, to more people to be more creative. I think there is a threat here that it's going to put a lot of knowledge workers, theoretically could push a lot of knowledge workers out of work uh, because they get replaced by the AI. Uh, but the flip side is I think it's going to open up so many more opportunities for more people to be creative and create in partnership with AI that that those gains will will offset. Yeah, I, I like to think, I hope that the that AI ends up being like what the cotton gin was for us. Yeah. Where it took, just to get a shirt, there were so many people who had to touch it, manual labor, repetitive, that was very, very painful. And then when, you know, the cotton gin, which was probably one of the first, one of the first industrial um, inventions that, that replaced a lot of labor. Instead of putting people out of work, we can focus on other things. Yeah. Greater advances in medicine. Yep. Um, well, it's like a lot of people don't realize, but you know, when this country was founded in the U S 90, what 95 plus percent of Americans were farmers. Mm -hmm. And today it's, you know, it's a few percentage points are farmers, maybe even less than that. Um, and you know, what are we doing? Are we all starving? No, we're doing things like building airplanes and writing code, recording recording podcasts, arguably maybe less valuable (laughs) than growing food. But, um, but yeah, it just opens up these new opportunities. I will say though, that like one thing that I guess I worry a little bit about is that like, as we move to this like hyper-personalized environment, do we lose community to a certain degree, right? Where it's like, you talk about that Netflix show, right? This, this idea of like, okay, it's going to create Netflix shows that are perfect for Peter. Um, but then do I lose something where it's like, I want to talk about that show with you, but we no longer have this like shared experience. Won't you just be living in the metaverse with all your, your metaverse friends that probably never existed (laughs) that don't exist. They're just uh, figments of my imagination. Yeah. There's a bunch of ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Potentially that, but I don't know that that's the dystopia I want to live in. I don't know what'll happen, but we'll see what happens. Awesome. All right. Was there anything else you think we should know about generative tech before we close this podcast? No, I just, you know, we as humans, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but we as humans aren't very good about thinking in terms of exponential growth. We think more in terms of linear growth. And I think this is this generative tech movement is one of those examples where I I anticipate that it's going to grow incredibly fast at an ex, ex- exponential rate and it's going to blow people's minds in the next probably couple of years. Uh the things that are possible with generative tech that, you know, nobody even thought about today maybe uh we should try a generative tech uh website building tool for a university growth fund or for this podcast uh yeah venturecapital.fm and see what see what it comes up with yeah it's not a bad idea maybe we'll just end up getting replaced by generative uh, tech podcasting there we go well awesome well thanks everyone thanks peter for coming down go to venturecapital.fm and you can find us on spotify apple um YouTube. All of our links are right there, venturecapital.fm, and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Till then.